Micah 7, verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Who is the God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have shown to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And as you do, let's thank Jamila and Sarah again for sharing with us. And, um, and yeah, and, and I'll just share, I'll just let um, you all know even some of our heart as a church is I vividly, even when we moved to plant a church and just knowing that, that, the, that God's work of reconciling us to himself and reconciling us to each other is full of, of, of his work, his glorious work. And it doesn't always look like or fit on a, on a Hallmark card. And, and, and I remember as a kid being in, in church and looking up and seeing the families, and, and we've had some of them, right? That, but, um, that, and just thinking like, well, that would never be us. Like, well, they're not about to have us up there. And, and, and we go out of our way to say, no, we're, we're excited to see God's work in and through his people and even reconciling and redeeming family. And so Jamila and Sarah being family and hearing um, you share your story of God's work in your lives, thank you. Thank you for that. And again, it's an honor for us to get to see um, God's strength made known through our, our weakness, through our lives. And, um, and I was thinking up there when you both were like, I'm not good at public speaking. I'm like, well, I got to stutter. We're just, we're a bunch of, <laughs> but hey, again, God's, God's grace and his strength is made known through us. Um, and I'm not preaching this morning, um, and so before I introduce um, Joe, who is going to preach and share some more about that, I want to also take this chance to share with you, some of you know we're going to two services um, in January. Yeah, so January 26th, um, we're going to be going to, to two services to just make room for more of what God is do doing and just the people that he's drawn to himself and the ways we get to be a part of that. We're excited for it and we all celebrate in that. Um, and also, I, I want to take this, this chance to invite you and even commission and, and charge us um, who are a part of this church, who call Redemption Tucson our church home, to have ownership and to hear you are needed. Okay, there are about 50 roles that we need filled in order to go to two services of different things that happen. If you didn't notice, we meet in an old school, and it needs, uh, not old school, like old school, but you know, an actually, literally old school. And, um, and, and it, there's a lot that goes into um, converting this into where we worship each week. And so I want to invite and encourage you from um, um, Redemption Kids to Hospitality to set up and tear down and all kinds of different things. Um, again, let me, thus saith the Lord, all right, um, if, if this is your home, I want to encourage you to, to ask, um, what's the action step? Meet up here, so my right, your left, after the service, and I'll say it again um, at that time to ask you and encourage you to go over there and just to find out more. You're not signing in blood yet, but you are um, finding out more about what it looks like for you to serve and to participate 
in uh, the good work that God is doing um, here in this church. Amen? All right. And so now um, I'm excited to introduce um, Joe, Joel, who's going to be preaching this morning. And um, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we announced that the Joel family, um, we get to be a part of sending them to go and, and do the work that God has called them to do at a church in Northern California. And while we're sad and grieve them moving and have pleaded and tried our best, uh, God, God is calling them. And we acknowledge that. And, and we, um, they'll be here. Their, their last day will be January 29th. And um, what's that? December 29th. Sorry. December 29th, and so we'll be sending them out and, and, and um, praying for them on that date. And so I'm excited, though. God has really gifted Joe in a many ways, and one of those is preaching. And so I'm excited for us to get one more uh, sermon out of Joe. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and, and uh, welcome Joe up here. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, guys. How's everyone doing? Good? Would you guys pray with me? Father, uh, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of the gospel story in our lives. Lord, I pray, uh, Father, as we look to you in, in anticipation and in hope as we wait, uh, Lord, for you to restore all things to yourself, uh, God, that you would draw out of us a sense of expectancy and anticipation as the, those of old were anticipating a Savior. Lord, we have seen you come, and would you now give us a great anticipation uh, for that day when there will be no more tears, when Jamila will, will not have to cry no more, when uh, depression is gone, when death is defeated, uh, when Jesus restores all things to himself. We thank you for your word, that it gives us the hope of this, and it shows us your promises, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before I get started, if you don't have a Bible with you or need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. There will be a few people on the sides. There's uh, Bibles in both English and Spanish, so if you need Spanish, uh, those are available to you as well, so make sure to raise your hand if you need a copy of God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible, please, this is our gift to you. We want to make sure that everyone has a copy of God's Word that wants one. Uh, so please make that yours. Um, man, I love, I love this season. I love Advent. Not only because my birthday is coming up too, it's in, I'm a December baby, so it's like all at one time, right? All the excitement, except I did get gypped when I was a kid uh, with presents, but that's okay. I'm going through therapy for that, um, but that's all right. I didn't grow up with, I didn't grow up with the, the, the season of Advent, though. I mean, I grew up with Christmas time and going to church, and, you know, I grew up with that. But I didn't grow up with this anticipation. I didn't grow up doing a devotional, you know, with, you know, my family. We didn't, there wasn't really a whole thing. We went to a church. We, they loved Jesus, preached the gospel. But it wasn't until recent years that I begun discovering the beauty of the Advent season and what it means uh, for us as Jesus followers, um, as we celebrate. And Advent, if you don't know, if you're new or you're new to the church thing, uh, Advent is this centuries-old celebration of the coming promise of God in the birth of Christ. And that's amazing. Advent is simply, 
It simply means, and Dave said it earlier, it's this sense of expectation or arrival. And this season is meant to thrust us into this sort of reflection on all that Christ has done, while at the same time drawing out an anticipation, as I prayed earlier, of our future for Christ to restore all things to himself. But as I was thinking about it today, praying and preparing for today, thinking about people that I know within the church that I have the privilege to be able to walk with and, 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 and those different things, I it came to mind that in the midst of our reflection on Christ and in our anticipation of his second coming is waiting, is waiting. In fact, Jesus didn't come, he didn't arrive without a wait. 400 years silence spanned the gap between the final prophecies of the birth of Christ. And as they waited for the arrival of a Savior, we await for the arrival again of our Savior to restore and to make all things new. But in the silence, as we talked about earlier um, with Jamila's amazing story, in the silence, God is always working and unfolding his plan and his story. But the reality is that silence for so many of us doesn't feel like God at work. It feels like God's abandonment. Amen? I remember just a year ago, this same time, just a year ago, we moved back. I'd taken, taken a break off of ministry um, to seek the Lord and to be together as a family. And we, we had moved away to Denver to be with family for a while. And we were just in the season of what's next, God. And we came back to Tucson because the company that I was working with in Denver said that they'd had a job for me and it seemed promising. So we moved back um, and felt like God was kind of leading us back anyways. And so we came back, moved all of our stuff here. I called the company. The company told me, oh, sorry, we filled the role. And so after a month of more rejection emails of different jobs, we were waiting. And I wish I could say that I bursted out in worship and, like David, like, you know, wrote a psalm for myself and, and went up to Mount Lemon and just worshiped the Lord. But instead, I questioned, God, are you even still for me? I wish I could say I responded that way, but to be honest, I thought that God's protection and favor and care that I saw throughout so many years of my life was actually no longer with us. Have you guys ever been there? See, wondering is hard, but waiting is difficult. And I was waiting. We are waiting. And Christmas for us last year was hard. And I think for, for some of you, Christmas is not drawing out the joy. It's just adding to the frustration. And it's bringing to memory another year of not getting pregnant. It's bringing to memory another year that I can't afford more presents for my kids or even get a present for my kid. It's another year without this person in my life or being single. Another year of sin's effect on my mental health state. Another year where the healing didn't come. It didn't happen. We've been praying, but we're still waiting. Another memory of how that person hurt me. Another year where I feel like a failure, and it's just over and over. And it's just, for, for some of us here, it's not joy. It's just adding to the memory of the frustration of where we are. And Christmas, for so many of us, it's about waiting rather than anticipating. So in our season of waiting, 
In the midst of the chaos, how do we wait? How do we wait? I think of, how do I I faithfully walk with Christ when the waves of my surrounding circumstances feel like they're taking me under? And this is where the Old Testament comes in. Because we get a picture of people who cling to a promise, and they didn't do it perfectly. And if you've been in church for a while, and maybe you haven't, the story is that Israel, that God gave Abraham a promise, and that promise was that he would make a nation, um, that, uh, countless, you know, countless people, and make a nation out of Abraham, and out of that became Israel. And we know that Israel rebelled against God multiple times. And in, in fact, most of the books that we read in the Old Testament are God's prophets crying out to God and screaming at Israel, saying, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop being a bunch of knuckleheads, and stop sinning, you know, the whole thing, right? Um, But as we look at the Old Testament, we also see the people of God waiting and holding on to the promise of, of God in the midst of surrounding chaos, so as I was thinking about it this week, I, was, I felt like, like Micah was the perfect example. This little Old Testament book. Micah is a prophet of God, and he is fed up. He spends almost seven chapters warning Israel of God's judgment because Israel refused to obey the ways of God. Instead, they become corrupt, right? Leaders were getting wealthy through theft and greed while the prophets were becoming um, more wealthy through offering God's protection if the people would just pay them off. Micah was face to face with this reality that judgment was coming on his people. But what I love is that yes, judgment is coming, but Micah sees hope counteracting the coming judgment. He knows judgment has to come, but he sees grace in the midst of it. So if you would, if you haven't already, if you would open your Bibles up to Micah chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. He says this, that woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly have, have perished from the earth, and there is no upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood. And each hunts the other with a net, and their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters evil desires um, of his soul, that thus they weave it together, and the best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them are a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, excuse me. Of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of their mouth from her who lies in her arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother and the daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's a mess. And Micah is describing why Israel, in these first six 
uh, verses, why Israel and Judah are headed towards judgments. He says this, at first their rise of wickedness, right? They were princes, priests, rulers, and judges who showed favor only to those who lined their pockets up with bribes or payoffs. Uh, even the prophets of the day were telling them they could get right with God, as I said earlier, just in, in, in if they would just pay the right amount. The rich alone flourished because they had the ability to manipulate circumstances to their own benefit. Uh, by the way, the rich in the Old Testament bore the responsibility before God because they were tasked with leading the people towards righteousness. Yet the rest of the people were not immune to the sins, to their sins either. As they, had been, as they have been led, so they lived. But then Micah says something so profound, so key, and as we think about what it looks like for us to wait in a, in a, in a culture where it seems like God has left the scene at times, that even though sin and suffering and stupidity even surrounded him, he says, as for me, I will hold on to what I know is true. So there's two things, and I'll read the, the rest of the verse. There's two things that I, today that I want to point out to you. And, and number one is that we will rise. We will rise. And number two, I got two points for you today. Real simple, right? Sin doesn't have the final say in the story. That's our hope. <laughs> Let's read verse 7. It says this. But as for me, Micah says, sin and suffering is surrounding me, but he says, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Verse 8, rejoice not over me, O enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. We will Rise, And as I was preparing this sermon this week, I couldn't help but to think about those of you who are feeling like the pressure is great, right? The failure is too strong, or the world has gone too far, and God has left the scene. You're not just waiting. You're not just on, you're, you're not just waiting. You're on the edge of giving up. And in fact, in a room this size, I can't help but to think, because of some, you know, amount of people I've been able to talk to over the time, is some of you have already written your end-of-life statement or email or letter. Because sin is so strong, suffering is so huge, you're just like, I can't do it anymore. I just want to tell you that if that's you today, if you are here and you've struggled with depression to that point where the letter is written, I just want to tell you what the incarnation of Christ preaches and that Jesus becoming fully man and as being fully God. The incarnation is not only the way in which Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us, but it's the eternal testimony that he and his father are unswervingly for us. Amen? This is our story. Our story is redemption. And though sin has entered because of Christ, we will 
rise. So as we wait in this already but not yet sort of state, we've seen Christ come, but it, he hasn't fully restored all things to himself. So we're in this already but not yet days of grace. We don't wait without knowing where the story is headed, right? And here's sort of, if you're taking notes, here's kind of my big point for the day, and, and I hope, that, hope to unpack this. But really is this, if you're waiting on something, you're ultimately waiting on the Lord. If you're waiting on something, you're ultimately waiting on the Lord. See, what makes a difference for Micah is he isn't waiting on Israel to get it all right. Do you notice this? He's not, he, his hope isn't, oh, maybe one day Israel will get it. Maybe they'll turn for their sin. No, he says this, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. In the midst of the surrounding chaos, I'm going to look to the Lord and wait for the God of my salvation. And if that was all he was looking for, then he's done. If that's all we're looking for, then we're done. Let's give up now, right? But that's not the story. Our story is that is our beautiful God created the cosmos. He created man and called it good. And in between the end of Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, some of your Bibles might be highlighted by saying this, that um, the, the fall of man happened, right? And in that moment, this cancer called sin uh, was spread and that resulted in your parents' divorce, that resulted in uh, your broken home, that resulted in the abuse that you've been through, that resulted in, that still results in racial inequality we see all around us that resulted in the corruption that we see in politics or the shootings that, man, have become so too familiar in our day. All of this is the collateral damage of that one decision. But listen, what Micah knew and what I hope we see today was that darkness and evil is the result of our choices to sin. But what he also knew in verse 7 is he knew that sin doesn't have the final say in the story. Because we will rise because sin doesn't have the final say in the story. And the reason that Micah can say, I will wait for the God of my salvation, is because he knew that when God says something, there's no stone throw chance that it just might happen. He knows that it already has. We serve a sovereign God who's sovereign over all things. And so when God says, I will return, it's not just I'm hoping he returns or I'm going to go out on a limb and hope that God's going to return. No, we stand on a tree trunk of God's faithfulness to us and we can know that he will come back one day. And Micah was giving us a foreshadow of what would be. And he is looking forward to it, and now we can celebrate it and reflect on it. Read verse 9. He says this. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light, and I shall look upon his vindication. Micah says, yes, I have sinned. Yes, they have sinned. And I feel the weight of that sin. And I feel the weight of other sins. So that's step one. Step one is confession, right? Confession. We need to confess we've sinned against God. And, and then he goes on to say, until he pleads my cause. You may not be waiting on an answer. You may, you may be waiting on an answer, you know, to a court case. You might just be another name on another stack of papers, you know, whatever it might be. But even through even though sin comes with consequences, some of us do live those out, 
I want us to also see and connect it to what Paul says in Ephesians. And here's the great hope is, yes, we need to confess. Yes, we need to understand that what we've done is wrong and confess those things to God. But then Paul says this in Ephesians 2, and here's the, here, here's, here's the hope. Here's why I'm excited. I've been sick all week, but I'm excited to preach this message. Um, so here we go. He says this, Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 4, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love that we, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then he says this, He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you guys notice something? That the end of verse 9 is connected to the B-U-T, but, of Ephesians 2-4. This is our story. That yes... I shall look upon his vindication, and he, he, will, he will bring me out into his light. And yes, I have sinned until he's pleaded my cause. But Paul comes in and says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love has saved us. Now, I didn't grow up in, in a church with stained glass windows. But man, the older I get, and maybe this is an old guy thing, and I'm not, I'm not claiming to be an old guy yet, but I am getting older, you know, I'm... I'm reading the news. You know, I, I heard a college, uh, some college kids like, what do you do like when you're old? Like, do you just read the news and stuff? And I'm like, what the heck, man? Just check the news. Like, come on. Um, but I love those churches. I love going to those churches. They have some of these amazing images. But what I love about the stained glass window is not the nostalgia, but the story they tell. The stained glass window is made up of these broken pieces that tell a beautiful story. The stained glass window is made up of these broken pieces. And the story is that God is making out of broken pieces A beautiful story. And this is our story, amen? Is that Jesus came. And I love this, this picture because I love this image of all the colors and just the, the beautiful broken pieces that put together what truly our story is, and that is Christ. And so today, if you're feeling worthless, if you do feel like just a broken piece, not on the glass, but on the side, if that's you today, as you may have sunk into that feeling that God's left the scene, that he doesn't care, let's all take a lesson today from the stained glass window. Amen? And listen in waiting, and listen waiting from the, and take lessons from the prophets and say, even though death and discouragement surrounds me, I will look to the Lord and wait for the God of my salvation because when I fall, church, we will rise. So the question is now, how do I wait? It's in this already and not yet day. There's two reasons I think we have to anticipate in the wait. Two reasons. First, God's character. 
and to God's promises. See, Micah ends this book with hope. He ends with a sense of great anticipation that King Jesus will come. And I love it. In verse 18, if you go down there with me to verse 18, he says this, that who is, who is God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love and he will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea and you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And those promises have not expired, church. God's character is the reason that we can wait. It's, I love what Courtney Doctor says. She writes for the Gospel Coalition. She's, she says this, that it's far too easy to view God's character through the lenses of our situation instead of the other way around. See, Micah is not looking through the lenses of his surrounding situation but, or through the lenses of even his own personal discomfort, or even he, he's, not, he's not waiting for the people to get it right. And I think for so many of us, it's so easy for us in the waiting to see what's happening all around us and ignore what already has. And what, what already has happened is Ephesians 2, verse 6, Paul says, he has raised us up. Amen? With him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, Micah is looking at God's proven character, and in response, he can place his hope in God's coming salvation. So as we wait, we don't wait with lenses of trying to figure out how this is all going to take place. And yes, we got to do a due diligence in planning and making things happen. But as we wait, we, we keep our lenses on the fact that God's character is faithfulness. And number two, God's promises. As we wait, we hold on to God's promises. In verse 20, you will show faithfulness to Jacob. Your steadfast love to Abraham. Now these are two men that, yes, we look up to, but let's be honest, they're pretty jacked up. <laughs> but God, Micah's holding on to it because he knows that he will show faithfulness to Jacob and be faithful to the covenant he made with Abraham because all of God's promises, I'm about to burst, here we go, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, amen? Today, because the promise of God to restore all things to himself is what? Yes. All right, here we go. I got more for you, so here we go, more participation. I was a kid's pastor one day, so uh, here we go. The, the promise that he is renewing us to be a blessing to the world has its yes in? There we go. All right, cool, here we go. The promise that the righteous will inherit the kingdom has its yes in? The promise that he will wipe every tear from our eye and suffering will cease to exist has its yes in? The promise that God will judge and confront evil has its yes in. The promise that God would send his Holy Spirit to apply his work of reconciliation to make us holy has his yes in. Last, I promise this last one. God has said yes in the person and work of. This is our story. 
this is our story. Because if you're waiting on something, you're ultimately waiting on the Lord because his promises are yes in Jesus. I love this quote uh, from Ryan Lester. We're almost done, I promise. But he says this. As our eyes look back on what God's redemptive presence has done on our behalf, our hearts rejoice. And in looking back, we cannot help but also glimpse forward at what his redemptive present promises. And what do we see? That beautiful garden city filled with the presence of God. For those of us reconciled by Christ like John, we look in hope for Emmanuel's return and proclaim, come, Lord Jesus, come be the means of our salvation. Come usher us into the fullness of your joy and come make our story your story. I'm going to do something a little different. As we, in effort to make God's story our story, as he's redeeming those things in our life, I want to read a section of Romans 8 over us before I end. Would you guys close your eyes? And if you feel comfortable, put your hands out. If you don't, that's okay. I just want to read this over. And this, as I read, I want us to remember that this is our story. And I want it to draw out anticipation in the waiting for God's second coming. He says this, or Paul says this. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to compare compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that has been revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, Paul says, and not only the creation, but church ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption or the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, Paul says, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope, we do not see for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promises of old. Thank you for the promise that you made to Abraham so long ago that we can hold on to. Thank you for Micah's witness, Lord, and how he looked to you and the surrounding circumstances and all the chaos that was going on in the world. God, give us, by your Holy Spirit, the strength as we wait in the already and not yet days of grace. The strength to say, yes, sin is ever real. Yes, the surrounding culture seems like it's going under quick. But I will wait on the Lord because you have promised that we will rise because sin does not have the final say in the story. It's Jesus. 
Thank you for calling us our own, our, these broken pieces that you've reconciled to yourself to tell a beautiful story of your grace and redemption. We lift you up, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.